mountains are still being moved. Hello, and welcome to Raising the Standard with Pastor Owen Moody of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. You're invited to join us each Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for an anointed full-length message from Pastor Moody. After the message, we'll be back to let you know how you can contact us. On this podcast, Pastor Moody brings us a message entitled, God's Dwelling Place. His scripture text will be taken from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Here now, Pastor Moody. I want to go into the Word of God this morning, and uh, I really want to try to speak to your heart about where you are. I know the Lord spoke to me this week from the scripture, and, and I want to talk to you just a little bit this morning about a subject I'm going to entitle God's dwelling place, God's dwelling place. And, uh, you know, we have found ourselves just kind of uh, of necessity, you kind of housed up and, and having a lot more time, a lot of you, than you had before maybe to be in the Word of God. I hope that you have been. To spend time in prayer, to let the Spirit of God speak into your life. Uh, I hear things from our people, uh, from people in general, things that people are saying like, I'll be so glad when we get back to church. I'll be so glad when this is over and people are just wanting to get life back into the normal routine. But I heard a word from God this week that I think when the church does come back, we're not coming back just to come in and sit down and get our little religious fix and go back and just say, well, I can't wait till the next time. But I hope that where you are, that you're preparing that house that is you for the presence of God because I believe that God is gearing the church up, getting the body of Christ ready for the last day revival that we've heard about, that's been prophesied, that's been told about, that the scripture tells us is going to take place. And so I want to do a little housekeeping this morning if I can. I want to work on the body. I want to work on the house of God. I want to work on the church if I can just a little bit this morning. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to 1 Corinthians to the 6th chapter. I'm going to read the last two verses and then I'll be kind of going some different places in the Word of God to just, uh, just share my heart with you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, Paul the apostle says these words. He says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. Listen to verse number 20. For you are bought with a price. That price was the blood of Jesus. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. I want to say that again. First of all, Paul says, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? And in verse number 20 he says, You're bought. You've been purchased. God made a real estate deal on you, honey, and you belong to him, and you're now his dwelling place. Father, we ask that you move right now. Let the Spirit of God come down today and touch us, Lord. We are here for you. We're presenting ourselves, God, as vessels for you to sanctify and to fill and to equip for the work of God. We want to be holy. 
Hallelujah. We don't want to be holier than thou toward anybody, but we want to be holier than we've ever been. God, in your sight, let your will be done today and sanctify the body of Christ and empower it for a work of God like we've never seen before in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul in this portion of Scripture here makes a case for two things. First of all, the sanctity of the body. How important it is for the physical body of the Christian and the body of Christ to understand their, their place and responsibility to holiness. Secondly, he makes the case for the sanctuary of the body, the body being God's dwelling place. He, of course, is, has a purpose in doing this, and the reason being that he wants us to know that we are the temple of God. We are individually. Peter would even say in 1 Peter chapter 2 that uh, we are each one lively stones built up, laid in place like a bricklayer would lay stones in a wall, laid in place to be a temple, a habitation for the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. I've always said that church needs to be a place of spiritual experience. You need to be able to come in and discern the presence of God in the organized church. But that, my friend, begins with the individual, and that's what Paul is speaking to here. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 16, he said, Know ye not that you are the temple of God, watch this, and that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God dwells or lives in you. And then he said, If any man defiles the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, and then he says, which temple you are. Verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 6 and 16, Paul said this, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, and God has said, what's this? God has said, I will dwell in them, and, I love it when God says and, walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. When I started thinking about this life that we live, and Paul, in the, the whole theme of the, of the book of 1 Corinthians is the purity of the church. This church was, was in Corinth, by the way, since we call it the, the letter to the Corinthians. And it was a place where the temple of the goddess Diana was. And, and all of the worship there had to do with of those goddesses and those idols had to do with sexual perversion. So God had a church that Paul planted there on his second missionary journey. And they lived in the place that was the most morally corrupt place maybe on the planet earth at that time. So Paul was, he was warning them. If you look back earlier in, the, in verse number nine of this chapter, he said uh, I want you to know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God and be not deceived because what was going on there. And he says, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. All of the sexual immorality of that day, which we can, we can surely trace in this day. And he said, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers or extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And he said, and such were some of you. Hallelujah. But he said, you've been washed. 
you are sanctified. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And then he said, all things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So Paul was saying, I want you to know as the church, God is preparing you to be his dwelling place throughout scripture. I found this when I started you know, just searching this this week. And uh, of course, I've known it for years, but I, I really just noticed this, that God, uh, amen, has lived in a series of houses or dwelling places. When those houses or those dwelling places became dirty or defiled, God simply moved out because he cannot live in an unclean vessel. What are you saying, preacher? I want to tell you, in the Old Testament, God had a temple for the people. But in the New Testament, I want you to know that God has a people for a temple. Glory to God. A people that he lives in. This is what Paul was referring to. He, he wanted us to understand that we are the residents of God through the Holy Ghost in this world. There's a pattern that was developed throughout the word of God that we must consider. I started thinking like this in these last few weeks. The church has been vacated as far as the building goes. And, uh, and out of necessity, amen, and with much distress, we found ourselves confined. We found that many of us had had to worship at home. You've had to do your Bible study, I hope, at home. You've had to try to live stream in some preaching and some worship. And uh, God is saying, I, I, I like what somebody said this last week, so they saw a cartoon that Satan was talking to Jesus and said, I finally got them all out of church. But Jesus said, yeah, but now I've moved into their house. Hallelujah. And, then, and I want to say this because I think God is doing this. He, he didn't cause this, but can I say that he's using this? I feel that God is saying something to remind his church that he cares more about his temple, our bodies, than he does about the building that we've tried to assemble in. Come on, somebody. I want to tell you that, that you need to understand that this is a time, amen, not of defeat. It's not a time to be discouraged. It's not a time to, you know, to want to give up. But I believe what the Word of God says. I believe that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I want to put the devil on notice when this is over and when God calls us out, amen, of our being safe at home and and releases us to the world. We're not coming back to sit in the pew and be some little religious bunch trying to look holy for an hour or so on Sunday, but we're coming out filled. We're coming out sanctified. We're coming out anointed. Whoa, glory to God, we're gonna be on fire and we're gonna change the world, hallelujah, with our ministry. Glory, why don't you take a moment and shout right there, hallelujah, wherever you are. Glory, glory, glory. God is calling us, amen, to a place of consecration, to a place of sanctification, to a place of a garden experience. I heard a song this past week, he turns uh, graveyards into gardens, hallelujah. I've been shouting about it, glory to God. What does that mean? Well, let's, let's just go to the word, is that all right? I wanna tell you that God's first earthly house 
that we experienced was in a garden. It was in a place called Eden. The Bible said in Genesis chapter two, verse number seven, that God formed man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Let me, let me just paraphrase that. God made somebody that he could communicate with, that he could bless, that he could visit, that he could love on. Can I say it? That he could be intimate with. Amen. God made somebody that had a will, that they wanted to love him and wanted to serve him. The Bible relates that in the cool of the day, God would come every day and walk in that garden with man. I don't know if that does something to you, but it does something to me. When I think about heaven, when I think about streets of gold, gates of pearl, walls, of jasper mansions uh, uh, there's a sea of glass before the throne and there's a rainbow like an emerald about it and there's a river that flows out of it and there's cherubim that Isaiah saw flying around the throne with with their wings they covered their feet with two of them and covered their face with two and flew with two because they wasn't worthy to stand in his presence wasn't worthy to look at him and they cried holy 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 and John looked into heaven in the Revelation 700 years later and those cherubim were still flying around the throne doing the same thing but you know what God did he left that glory and came down to this little orb we call earth and he planted a garden and he made a man a man that looked like him and God the Bible called it the Ruach he breathed his spirit right into that man and his soul came alive hallelujah and God had a man that he lived with and lived in. Let me go on. God had sweet communion with that man. He loved that man until the day that Adam of choice failed God and disrupted the relationship. The breath of life was the spirit of God and it left him at that time because God said the day that you sin, you'll die. You hear me, folk. God's got you in a place to make some choices now. Some of you watching me, oh, can I just get just get down and get real with you? Some of you have been going to church but you've been slipping out to the liquor store. Some of you have been going to church and you've been on the internet looking at trash you ought not look at. Some of you have been going to church and you've been having a little affair or a little relationship and you've been doing things that you shouldn't ought to do and I'm not here to condemn you I'm here to tell you that God has got you in a place where he can come back and hallelujah renovate and move into that house of his God's dwelling place if there was ever a day that the church needs to sanctify itself it's this hour that we're living in listen this 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 uh, quarantine, this pandemic, this thing isn't gonna last forever, but what you've got in your heart is eternal and it's gonna go on and on and on and on. Hallelujah. So the Bible said that the spirit of God is life. James 2.26 said, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. But notice the reference to the spirit. The first house was made up of three rooms that God built. It was a body, Adam's body, a temporary flesh. It was a soul, his mind, will, and emotion. It was the spirit part of him that was eternal. God made a distinction between the soul and the spirit of man. The Bible said in Hebrews chapter four and verse number 12 that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword of piercing, even dividing asunder, what's this, of soul and of spirit. God dwelt with Adam in his spirit. That relationship was spiritual. Listen, your Bible said that the things of God are spiritually discerned. 
oh, I, I just feel like it's pressing in my, in my heart this morning to say this. While you're there out of church, it's a time for you not to withdraw, but it's a time for you to press in, pray in, get yourself more prepared. I'm talking about God's house. Let's say amen. Since we've been home and, and uh, not able to get out as much, my, my wife's had me painting and fixing and all that, and uh, I drove by Lowe's the other day. You, wasn't even, you couldn't hardly get a car in the parking lot. I figured, well, them poor old fellas is doing what I'm doing. They're doing all that fixing, and that's all right. But what I'm telling you is there's a house that God's looking at that he wants to see fixed up. He wants to see cleaned up. I know this may be old-fashioned. It's all right. I'm old enough to be old-fashioned. I've been around this long enough. I think I know what God wants, and I think he's got us in a place where we need to pay attention. Amen to what he's saying and what he's doing. Let, let, me, let me go on just a little bit. Adam, that first house, watch, watch what happened to it. It was desecrated. It defiled. Genesis 3 and 6 said, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired. Come on, somebody ought to say it appealed to the flesh to make one wise. She took the fruit thereof, did eat, gave her husband with her, and he did eat. God had said, if you do, you'll die. So they sinned. It brought the defilement. It was desolated. It was abandoned. I know some of you eternal security people ain't gonna like this, but you hear me. God left him. God left that man because of his sin. The scripture said, Genesis 3 and 19, God looked at him and said, now you're driven out of the garden in the sweat of your face. You'll eat your bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you was taken. For dust thou art, and dust thou shalt return. What did God say when he breathed in him? You're a living soul. What's God saying now? You're dirt. You're dirt, Adam. You've sinned. You've lost it. You might say, that sounds hard. I didn't say it. God did. Let me, let me go on just a little bit. The Bible said in verse 24 of Genesis 3 that God drove out the man. He, he drove him out of the garden, out of his dwelling place. And the scripture said that he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to protect the way of the tree of life. I'm gonna tell you, that's the mercy of God. Man was a sinner. God had said, if you eat of that tree of life, you'll live forever. If God hadn't protected the tree of life, he would have went to it, he would have ate from it, and he would live forever, but he would have lived forever separated from God because he was a sinner. I wanna tell you, God planted another tree. He planted it on Calvary's hill. It's called an old rugged cross. And Jesus Christ hung there and died for us. He was and is the tree of life to restore us back to that relationship with God. Let me go on. Thirdly, that house was destroyed. The Bible said, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil, everybody that eats of it in Genesis 2.17 will die. Genesis 5 and 5 says this, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. And the last three words of Genesis 5 and 5 says, and he died. He died spiritually the day he sinned, but he died physically. Are you hearing me after 930 years? Adam died because of sin. He died immediately in the spirit. He died progressively in his soul. I wanna tell you that you and I need to come to that place that he died, understand that he died later in his body. The second house I want you to see is God's pattern house that he had in the scripture. There's the tabernacle that Moses had in the wilderness and later the temple that Solomon built and later Herod's temple. Those three, those three places, those three things had something in common. First of all, they had three rooms. They had the place called the outer court. 
a place of sacrifice where we come in through the gate of the court. It's known as the, this represents the body. The Bible said we're to present our bodies as Christians, Romans 12 and one. It said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Secondly, there was the inner court. Once you come through that place of sacrifice, and Jesus is our sacrifice, we come to the inner court, and it's a place of worship and fellowship, and it represents the soul. In that place, there was a lampstand that represented the illuminating light of God's word. Then there was the table of showbread, which was God's word. But then, right in front of the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was one important instrument known as the altar of worship, the altar of incense. It was there that man could get close enough to God that he could be translated into the very presence of God. And this is where I want to talk just for a moment today. I want to tell you that what's in that house, the scripture said in Hebrews 8 and 5, they serve as an example of the shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he's about to make the tabernacle, he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern that I showed you in the mount. God wants us to understand that everything about our relationship is about being able to come into his presence, being able to be anointed, being able to walk out full of his glory, being a light that shines in the darkness. God's house was to stand as an ensign to the world that there's a God who left glory to come here to tabernacle with you. He tabernacled in Moses and uh, in, in Adam. He tabernacled with, with Moses. He tabernacled in that temple. God has always said, my place is with man. I want to dwell in his heart and in his life. Today we're, we're, we're housed up. We may be locked out, but we're not, we're not closed away from the presence of God. Let me tell you about that temple. It was also desecrated. Jesus said, and I won't go through all the history, but Jesus said it this way in Matthew 21, 13. He said, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. He was talking to the Jews of that day. That house was desolate. The scripture said in Matthew 23, 38, behold, your house is left to you desolate. There was a man in the Old Testament called Ichabod because the scripture said the glory had departed because the, the Ark of the Covenant was carried away by heathens. And thirdly, I want to say this, that house was destroyed. In Matthew 24 and 1, that last temple that was standing, Jesus went out from the temple and his disciples came to show him all the buildings of the temple. They marked, that was their pride. That was the pride of Israel. I'm afraid that with a lot of Christians, the, the building is their pride pride, the stained windows, the padded pews, the, the good music, the, you know, the preach, that's all, man, that's, that's what we're, no, this is about you having a relationship with God. The scripture said, Jesus said, there'll not be here left one stone upon another that'll not be thrown down. But finally, I want to say this, then God presented us with a perfect house. He showed us what it's supposed to look like. That house was Jesus. In John 2, 19, Jesus looked at the Jews and said, you destroy this house, and in three days I'll raise it up again. <laughs> Hallelujah. And uh, you know what they said? The Jews said, it took 46 years to build this temple building, 
And you're saying you're gonna raise it up in three days? He wasn't talking about the temple. He was talking about his body, about himself. And the scripture said that. It said but he was talking about his body. He spoke of the temple of his body. But that house, let me tell you about the body of Jesus. At the hands of man, it was desecrated. Isaiah 53 said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He knew no sin, but he became sin for us on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, the Bible said, he made him to be sin for us, the one who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Secondly, I want to tell you that that house was desolated. It was left. Do you know that on the cross, just before Jesus died, that in Matthew 27 and 46, the scripture says about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is it that I now feel desolate? Listen, Jesus knows what this is like. He knows what it's like to be where you are, to feel like, You've been abandoned, even by God himself. And thirdly, I want to tell you about that house that we know is the body of Jesus. It was destroyed. It was destroyed. Amen. Just like Adam, just like the tabernacle, just like the temple. Because the Bible said in Matthew 27 and 50, when Jesus had cried with a, again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost. Let me translate that for you. He died. He moved out of that house. But the third day, he rose again. Tear it down, I'll raise it up. I, I got a word for the devil. I got, a, I got a prophetic word for the church. We ain't done. Come on, somebody. We ain't done. God is about to raise us back up. <laughs> Hallelujah. Are you hearing me? God's about to raise up the church for this last day move. And then the trumpet's gonna sound and the dead in Christ are gonna get up first. And those of us who are alive and remain are gonna be caught up in the clouds to meet them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I would encourage somebody today. We're the house of God. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Thank God for this. I was looking around the church this morning and from the day we first built it, there's been changes made. It's been upgraded. It's been remodeled. We've had expansions. We've built all. We've knocked the back wall out, added more seats. We've expanded the pulpit area. We've, we've just made all, we've changed even light fixtures and everything. And I thought we've tried to keep the house looking good and I hope that's what you're doing while you're at home I hope you're working on the house amen I'm not talking about that little three bedroom brick or whatever it is you live in I'm talking about that body that is the temple of God I wonder if it's sanctified and meet for the master's use the Bible said follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see God holiness is not a bad word sanctification is not a painful process but it's drawing nigh to God God and God coming in and filling you with the awesome presence of the Holy Ghost and giving you a fresh baptism. How long's it been since fire fell on you in your bedroom and you talked in tongues in the basement or in the kitchen or the living room? Oh, somebody, as you might say, people won't like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm telling you, we are the temple of God and we need to be filled with his presence today. Hallelujah. Let me, let me go on. I want to conclude with this. God 
was had a house in Adam. God had a dwelling place in the wilderness called a tabernacle. God had a dwelling place in Jerusalem called the temple. You know what he said? He said, you can't build a house big enough to hold me. Heaven's my throne. The earth is my footstool. But you know what he told Moses? He said, I'll show you my glory. There'll be a cloud by day and a fire by night. You know what he told Solomon? I'll put my name there. And if my people sin and they get carried off into bondage because they violated my law, he said, if my people that are called by my name, uh, uh, Solomon said, if they look back toward this place and, and pray, will you hear them? He said, if they're out there in bondage and they're destroyed and they're desolate and their families fell apart and their crops have failed and the nation's been over, you can read it. It's back there in Second Chronicles. We like to quote verse 14, but we're gonna go back and read verse 10 and follow it. They're there in that shape because of their sin. But then God said, but if my people that are called by my name, if they'll just look to the east toward Jerusalem, amen, if my people that are called by my name will just humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face. You know what he said? I'll hear from heaven. I'll heal their land. But the best thing he said was, I'll be their God. Let me translate. I'll move back in. Hallelujah. I'll bring my glory back to the house. In Ezekiel's day, you know, we wonder what Ezekiel saw when he saw a wheel in a wheel. When he saw a man that looked like he was on fire from the waist up and been burned from the waist down, all we look at all. You know what Ezekiel saw? He said, "I was standing down there and I saw the glory in the wheel in the wheel. I saw it leave the house." And I saw the mourning and the grieving of the glory leaving. But then he said, I saw it coming back. Hallelujah. And when it came back, whoo, it looked like a man on fire. Glory to I wonder if we've got any Christians today that are preparing their house that they might be that man, woman, boy, or girl that's on fire. Amen. Representing the holiness and the glory of God. I want to conclude with this. God's final house is the believer. I want you to get that. In the New Testament, God's house is the believer. And I want to say this. You see, salvation is not about, it's about this, but not completely about getting man from earth to heaven. Salvation is about getting God from heaven into man. That's what, you see, religion is man trying to get to God, but salvation is God coming to man and living in him. We are saved Immediately in the spirit, we are sanctified progressively in the soul, which is our mind, will, and emotion, and we will be glorified ultimately in a resurrected body. Romans 8 and 32, Paul said, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. He's coming back for what he paid for. He's coming back for what he built. He's coming back after a glorious church washed in the blood, sanctified by the truth, baptized in the Holy Ghost and fire. Amen. As one old preacher used to say years ago, children, this started with a fire in the upper room and he ain't coming back after cold ashes. He's coming back after a church on fire. Amen. I want to tell you, we are God's dwelling place. Therefore, verse number 20 said, glorify 
God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. This is a great day to be a Christian. Any day is a great day to be a Christian. I thought about this morning some years ago, a few years ago, I was in Egypt and I was doing there for about, about eight days doing a, on a mission trip and we were doing a conference at a place out in Alexandria, Egypt, over by the Mediterranean Sea. They snuck us out there in a van and uh, I mean, it was kind of a dangerous place getting from, from Cairo to Alexandria. It was kind of dangerous and one day there we was sitting in heavy traffic and a military truck ran into the van that we were sitting in and it was full of soldiers, armed soldiers, and the driver became just extremely scared because he thought they're going to catch me with this band load of preachers in here, amen, and it's going to be bad, and we all got to praying. But we went on out to Alexandria, got out there without incident, and we, we got in that place, and we were preaching six times a day. We had three services of the morning, three services of the evening, there were three of us splitting up to preach, and then we had one service at night. And one night, I was preaching a message I entitled, Let the Worshipers Arise. We fed those people, there was 350 or so of them there in the compound. It had been a resort at one time. It had concertina wire around the top. It had secure gates. And we're there in that, we're there in that place. And uh, we're doing all those services. We're feeding these people in the morning, at noon, at night, and then even after the late service, we're feeding them four times a day. There were people there from all over Egypt, from Syria, there was even some guys that had came in from Sudan that snuck in to get there. And uh, one night I'm, I'm preaching, and I'm preaching, let the worshipers arise. You've got to understand how important worship is. And there, in most places, it's, it's, it's kept in secret. It's had to keep on the down low because many of them are killed because of being a Christian. I want to say this. I don't care who hears it. There's more persecution, especially in southern Egypt today, of Christianity probably than any other place in the world. I can tell you horror stories about it. But anyway, we're there in that meeting. I'm preaching on work, let the worshipers arise. We had a, a little old PA system that was awful. The music was terrible. I mean, we, did, we had one little guy trying to play a keyboard that wasn't very good, bless his heart, but he was doing his best. They had something that looked like a guitar. I don't know what they called it, something else. It sounded like a dying cat. It was terrible. And the music was awful. But when they got to worshiping, those little men, there was two men on the front that came from Syria that as soon as worship started, they started jumping. They started dancing. All over the house, the Spirit of God was breaking out. And I was preaching on, let the worshipers arise. And the Holy Ghost took over the service and we were praying for people and they were laying out all over the floor. I'll never forget it. A young Egyptian boy walked up to me. He said, I'm from southern Egypt. He spoke pretty good English. And this is what he said. He said, my father is the imam in our village or the Muslim holy man. And he said, when I got saved, my father got terribly angry. And he said, but when I got publicly baptized, he put out a contract on my life to have me killed. And he said, they, he said, I have literally had to run for my life at various times because my own father trying to kill me. And he said, but I'm called to preach. Now listen, I, I'm talking about what it means to be dedicated to God. He said, I'm called to preach. And he said, I just got, he said, I want you to pray for me. I want a church. I want to be a pastor. And we prayed for him that night. He fell out under the power. And before the service was over, he came running to me all excited with his cell phone. And he said, I've just gotten a call. A church has called me to pastor. That quickly, the, God answered his prayer. And I was talking to the young man. He said, well, he said, I'm a little concerned, but it'll be all right. I said, what are you a little concerned about? He said, the last three pastors has been there. They killed him. 
the last three pastors. And I watched this young man. He said, but that doesn't bother me because he said, I belong to him. I belong to the Lord. We are the temple of God. I want to pray with you today. And no matter who you are, if you're not saved, will you pray with me? Will you ask Jesus to come and live in your house? If you're a Christian and maybe you've grown lukewarm or cold or maybe you've got caught up in some of those things that Paul warned about in this text, listen, I am not one of these preachers that believes that you can just live anyway and be all right. Amen. And, and, and I know that may not be popular. I'm not up for a popularity contest. I'm here to tell you that it means something to be a house that Jesus, amen, can come in and dwell in. And I want you to pray with me. If you want to be clean, you pray this prayer with me. If you want to be a sanctified vessel, meet for the master's use. I'm talking about your life, your physical, personal life. I want you to get it clean today. Will you pray with me? Father, just say this out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you today, and I am sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for failure. I'm sorry for missing the mark. Lord, sanctify me. Lord, wash me in the blood. Cleanse me. Now say this, come in, Holy Spirit. Live in me. Have complete access to my life. You're my Savior. I make you my Lord. I surrender my heart to you today, and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Will you just pray this now? Say, Lord, I want you to baptize me in the Holy Ghost. I want you to fill me with the Spirit. And if you've previously been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, I want you to say, Lord, I want you to refill me. I want a refreshing today. I want to be filled completely because I want to be God's dwelling place. I ask it in faith. And I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. And set our hearts on you. Lord, come and We hope you enjoyed today's message and we'll tune in again next time. Raising the Standard is the media ministry of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. For more information on the various outreaches and ministries of the Richmond House of Prayer, please visit our website at www.rhop.life. Thanks for listening.